Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show. Myself, Roy Shanahan, David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. Now, let's start with the last 16 draw, which was made today for the Champions League. And Dave, UEFA, they made a right mess of this. Oh, it was hilarious. And then after the second one was done, I had to pop out for a minute. And then one of the lads goes, I think they're going to have to do it for a tour time because it was another mistake. And I was like, don't, I don't want to know. Um, but... Jesus Christ, like I piss up in a brewery is the phrase that comes to mind, you know, and everything that's done. And there were some dodgy decisions yesterday in the Formula One, and back at it today. So, is it the same people looking after who's to say? But, um, look, it's done. Obviously, one or two people would have liked the first one to stay as it was, no doubt, with uh, Real Madrid being one of them getting Benfica. Now, have Paris Saint Germain, um, Bayern Munich are obviously probably a bit happier. Um, but listen, overall, it's not. Not a disastrous draw. Obviously, Real Madrid will have something to say about that. But I think, um, obviously, Atletico Madrid were the ones who had the biggest being up on it because they would have loved Man United in the pot just in case. And of course, they end up ironically getting them the second time. So uh, yeah, it, it just a just a bit of a mad day to comment for us before we actually go into the main draw because I was I'm kind of glad I had the main or the second draw because I still had one or two of the first draws in my head. So uh, I have it here now. So I'm happy to comment when when ready. <laughs> Well, if it was Chelsea and Lille, you're safe, Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> Neil, Real Madrid are, are left fuming over this now because, of course, there's people out there who were throwing stuff up about, you know, Man United didn't like that draw and they wanted to go and to get this draw and, and, and a few other things like that. But Real Madrid have a fair point as well. As much as Atletico did, they their draw was was legit at the start and they got a, a favourable draw with Benfica and now they end up playing PSG and, and so you wonder could they not have done the draw and I think this is what Real Madrid were asking could they not have done the draw from where it all went pear-shaped? Yeah, I guess that was the question but like again whoever the powers that be as they say much like the Formula 1 these guys make up their own rules at the moment so they decided to scrap the whole thing and do the whole thing from scratch. Um, I'd say it's a bit of a signal for them because you don't want to draw a Paris Saint-Germain in the last 16 years. You want to give yourself, you know, not a handy number. I don't think there's a handy number per se, but you want your Salzburg or you want your Lille. You know, you want the team that you don't have to completely overextend yourself. And now they're going to be in a scenario where they're going to have to go up to kind of fork gear very, very quickly because you can't go into a game with Paris Saint-Germain unless you're absolutely flying. So I, I don't know if it suits either team, really, because Paris Saint-Germain are the same. They're that type of team where they peak at the right time. They're trying to peak at the kind of quarterfinals, semifinals. Um, so both of them are going to have to approach that game completely differently now. And obviously, for everybody else in the, in the qualifiers, they're delighted to see the two big guns go up against each other early. Yeah, Dave, when I look at the draw there and I see... Manchester United were supposed to be playing Paris Saint-Germain in the first draw and now they have Atletico. It's not any way easier for Manchester United. But when I look at Paris Saint-Germain, they probably were looking forward to playing Manchester United. And likewise, Atletico, even though Atletico aren't uh, performing at the highest level that they did last year. Oh yeah, Atletico certainly would, would, would take this draw more than anyone. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to shit star just to say something different. But to be honest, United against PSG, United against Atletico... Much for muchness for me. The way I know they're they're not quite the the, the top side that they have been uh, Atletico, but they just like English teams and the way they play. And who knows what kind of Man United it's going to be in the next two to two and a half months? So it could it could be even more awkward than against than against Paris Saint Germain. You're up against it against Paris Saint Germain, no matter what. There's no two ways about it. But I think Ralph Rangnick could be more prepared, and the team is more prepared that they have to show up and, and, and do what they have to do and be as disciplined as they can. So. Like Neil said, the, 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 like there is no easy uh, draws, but personally, there's just that little thing. Maybe it's just because I'm, I have a bit of a thing about Atletico, like in a with a Liverpool boy, is that they're an awkward side against us. I just think this could be just as awkward a draw, if not more awkward than uh, than if they play Paris. Would Dave? I'll just ask you this: Would Manchester United under Solskjaer, I suppose last year, be better equipped to mm. beat them than under Ranjek now? Because Atletico are a real counter-attacking team, and they and they and they cause they cause problems. With United, when they played Paris Saint Germain there a couple of years ago, just sitting back and then them doing the counter-attacking. Ranjek now has this team pressing and uh, up high up the pitch now. So does this give Atletico a, a, 
more of a chance than if I suppose if they were playing a defensive unit um, possibly um, because I know it's only a couple of games in so it's not going to be well oiled yet or be well disciplined it will be by the time February comes along um, but if you just quickly go to the Norwich game I thought the second half it was incredibly loose and very end to end stuff where there was it was kind of like all oh, bets were off which was I, was I was a bit surprised about when I was watching it um, so I'd like to give um, him himself obviously the benefit there because he obviously hasn't as much time on the training ground as he wants it but come 23rd of February when they're playing Atletico I'd like to think he'll have his, um, his, his, his philosophy and how he wants the game to be done a lot more well-rounded and obviously the right 11 that he wants because obviously there's still a, definitely a few positions up for grabs so for Atletico yes they'll probably be happy that they'll have somebody coming high up the pitch because obviously the way they played against Liverpool in the home game, they had a lot of joy. Liverpool had a cracking start too and the look, but then all of a sudden, Atletico were able to kind of get in behind and really cause problems and make Liverpool look a bit silly at times with some of the goals they conceded. So, um, they like English teams. They like their come in their face, uh, come at them kind of. Uh, so, it probably would suit Atletico um, in, in theory, but that's presuming you know they're exactly the way you would expect well, not exactly the way you expect, but a little bit more like the Liverpool style than what obviously under Ali. Yeah, the the come in the face tactic. Yeah, that's always been a tricky one. No, there, I know. Yeah, that's one that we haven't yeah, heard it before. Neil, when you look at Liverpool, they have got a, an inter team who are on for, form in Serie A, top of the table, only one defeat. How do you look at that one? Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's favourable uh, a, a job as, as Salzburg would have been. I think Salzburg was a bang on draw. Um, I don't think Liverpool are going to really worry about Inter. I mean, AC Milan are doing very well in the Italian league at the moment and they were cannon fodder last week. They were a, a bit of a disgrace. So, I don't think the Italian football is strong enough. I think Inter are very weakened now with uh, having lost Lukaku. I don't think they're going to, you know, from Liverpool perspective, they're definitely heavily favourites in this. Um, I think the, the away goal is gone now. So that whole kind of, you know, bring them back to Anfield and score is probably gone. But I think they should have enough over two legs to see through Inter. Um, unless I'm being a little bit kind of too positive about it and dismissing them. But it'll be a tough game. But I can see... Liverpool being well, uh, just having too much firepower for them, provided everyone is fit, of course. Dave, when you look at Liverpool, say you look at Chelsea, who have Lille, you have Man City against Sporting Lisbon, do you see these teams progressing on to the, the, the very latter stages, albeit they don't meet each other in the Champions League, i.e. semi-finals? There's not, I'm not going to say that definitely got to the semi-final because you you don't know the way the quarter-final draw is going to be in relation to who. obviously they can't meet each other well actually I think from the quarter-finals they can meet each other I think. Mm. Um, but uh, Chelsea, Lille, Liverpool, Inter Man City, Sportingism I'd be very shocked if that treble doesn't come through um, without a shadow of a doubt Man City should like at this stage now I know they haven't won the, the holy grail as of yet but you know, they should be easily dismantling teams like Sport Lisbon. No disrespect, but Liverpool did a, a right job in Porto for the last two or three times. They've come up against them. I'd expect City to do the exact same. Chelsea, um, in Europe, there's no denying that better be from last year. And obviously, well, a bit, a bit surprising that Juve did, did the job and, and topped the table considering. But um, I'd expect them to overcome Lille. And a bit like what Neil said about Inter, yes, the Italian league isn't what it is, but they're pretty much on a par at the moment with Milan and Liverpool kind of looked after them, not with relative ease in Anfield, but certainly uh, considering the side that was made, uh, the, the, the side that came out last week, um, they shouldn't have any fears regardless of the fact of what might have been the first round or the first draw that was made. You know, yeah, they shouldn't I, be worried. Uh, they shouldn't be playing playing the violin, so to speak. Yeah, I'm gonna ask two years, Dave. I'll start with you. When you look at that draw, you look at the teams that are in there. Who have you got a feeling on? Well, who 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 can go on and win it, but who can make that the the final? I think City will going to be a bit bold. I just think the goals and the away goals and the way they play and obviously this is real elite competition. I still fear that that might bite them in the ass. Um, like, you know, Palace, no, not Palace, who was at Wolves at the weekend really did a right job on it and really frustrated them and they tightened up and obviously got a favourable decision as we know. Well, well, some people might say that but 
I just think when you're coming up against your Paris's, even Atletico's and Bayern's, and even the likes of your Liverpool's and Chelsea's, I just think, you know, I might just let them fall short this year, but it's still going to be hard not to, to go against them. I think the easy option is Bayern, but at the same time, me, uh, Roy, I'm a bit like you, as regards to the German League, I think the problem, I think it's worse almost than Paris Saint-Germain when it comes to when they really come up against the top sides. People can pretend Barcelona are top side now, but they're not. And Bayern have been dismantling them for the last couple of years because, as, as Muller said, it's the intensity. Um, so they're probably the, the, the top two. Paris are flirting around it as well. But at the moment, and I don't want to say it purely because of who they are, but I, Liverpool in Europe, I just have a feeling they'll get there, um, providing even the look of the draw, because no matter who you play, you're going to end up with it. But I'd probably stick my neck out in, rela- in relation to England. I would stick my neck out and say Liverpool might go to four as, as regards English teams. And then as regards the best of the rest, I would go with, unfortunately, I'll have to go obvious and go by. Okay, Neil? Uh, I can't really argue with most of that. I think there's a Bayern and Paris Saint Germain. I think have a massive advantage because they can literally rest a full eleven the week before mm-hmm. the Champions uh, League. Uh, the English teams can't do that, and by the looks of the way City, Chelsea, and Liverpool are going at it at the moment, they're going to have to win, you know, on the weekend, on a Saturday, Sunday, and then go out on a Tuesday, Wednesday. And I think that it does catch up with you in Europe, and I think it's proved fatal for City a couple of times. Um, if I'm picking an English team, I'm a bit like Dave. I think Liverpool, City, I don't know if Chelsea are going to do it again this year. I just can't see it. And then if Paris Saint-Germain can get past Madrid, um, I think they're going to be there, thereabouts. But I'm expecting Paris Saint-Germain to pick up after Christmas like they normally do. I think they're going to be a force. I think it's the only prize they want. They're very focused on it. So I think I'm going to go and tip them. Okay, it'd be interesting to see how Real Madrid do because they're they're on a run of form there in Spain at the moment. They're they're well clear in that league. It'd be interesting to see they they have good pedigree in the competition. Uh, I'm looking forward to that game. That's the probably the game I'm looking forward to most. Paris Saint Germain and Real Madrid uh, should be a cracker. Okay, we'll we'll leave that one there. Neil, I'm going to stick with you on this one because uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's future is under scrutiny after he was left out of the Arsenal squad against Southampton due to disciplinary reasons. What's going on here, Neil? This is like the captain's course at Arsenal and he's not the first person. They'll go through a few. Uh, Remember William Gallas, he had a little protest at the end of a game. Uh, I think they drew two all with Birmingham City and he sat in the, the halfway line in the centre circle after the final whistle, had a little bit of a breakdown. I think Cesc Fabregas, he got the captaincy role and decided to leave the year after. Van Persie did as well. Thomas Van Malen got the, the captaincy job and he suffered a, a long-term injury that kept him out and I think he only made something like 21 appearances or something like that as captain. Uh, Arteta as well himself when he was there uh, injuries uh, Mertesacker injuries uh, Klischelny injuries Xhaka of course we all yeah did Tony Adams break Stephen uh, your man Stephen Morrow that time as well wasn't it Tony Adams that, to put his shoulder after he won the cup. That will, I, yeah. I, I, there was a few of them holding them now. I don't know if Tony Adams can be blamed <laughs> solely for that. Did, when they give them the yeah, kind of bumps. Yeah, let's just pretend. Right. Just pretend. <laughs> and of course, Xhaka Jack, Jack, cupped his ears, didn't he, to the crowd coming off the pitch when they were booing him. So, Neil, uh, there seems to be a little bit of a curse there, but what are you making of this Abamyang thing? Um, well, if there is a course, you think the course would have died with Wenger because he was probably the manager when about 10 of them names you called out were, uh, were acting the mess. Yeah, with Aubameyang Roy, and let's be honest, we've said it in the sports show every single week that, you know, Arsenal need their, their pros, their senior guys, your Jackas, they need your Aubameyangs, your Lacazettes to really come to the fore and lead that team. And for a long time, I mean, literally since Aubameyang signed the contract, signed the deal, he was in scorching form before it. And he's just, I don't know, whether he's lost the hunger, whether something has happened. It's hard to know, obviously, inside the club. But um, for the captain to be caught out like that, and again, you've named a lot of Arsenal captains that have been caught out, but I can't really remember a lot of other captains at other clubs where the manager has had to come out and say it's a disciplinary issue and that I'm leaving him out of the match day squad. And it's been happening now a couple of weeks. So it seems like trouble is brewing. Um, the worst part of it is is that you know, as they're saying, when Aubameyang plays well, 
Arsenal tend to play well and they tend to score more. So what do you do when your you know most high profile, highly paid player uh, decides that you know it's not for him anymore? And it's a massive, massive problem. I thought Arteta handled it well. He came out and he faced the press. He said, "I wasn't going to go any further. I'll tell you the initial issue, and I'm leaving it at that." But uh, yeah, I, I, what do you do when when he's on the contract that he's on? Do you try ship him out in January? I'd say he'd love to. Can anyone afford him? Maybe not. Would anyone want him the way he's playing? I don't know. Um, it feels like ages now since he's been playing well enough where he'd even be in a discussion of one of the top clubs coming in and saying, yeah, I'll take him, no problem. And um, Maybe the likes of a Newcastle could be a blessing in disguise and get bloody rid of him because they would have maybe have more money than sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a kind of a, a sad indication on a pro that's well on in years that should be leading a team that he, you know, disrespects the club, the fans, and everything around it by falling out over silly little things like that. And uh, yeah, I think it, it just it looks really poor on him, and I don't know how he can come back from this, considering it's gone so public. Neil, can you go through the reasons and, uh, for anyone who hasn't heard? Uh, I, I don't know the full reasons. I, I said disciplinary. Yeah. I presume he was late to train and wasn't turning up. And uh, I think there was one where he he broke a curfew. Okay, so it's, it's basically. Um, Basically, the, it, there's a couple of stories coming out at the moment where um, he went over, his mother was ill, and he came back a bit late. And then because of COVID restrictions or COVID um, rules, where he had to await uh, the results of the PCR test, and that's why he couldn't mix with the lads, and therefore he had to miss training. But then that all sounds fairly okay, that's fair enough and understandable, uh, because that may be the personal reason. But then if it's coming out on social media, there's pictures of him getting a tattoo done on the, on the night as well. So... Where do you go from here? Um, so the exact reason has yet to be uh, surfaced, but at the same time, he's your captain and he's let the side down. And look, like a lot of players, uh, he got the contract, he got what he wanted. As regards what he does with Arsenal, let's be honest, I don't think he gives a crap. There's a list of players I could rhyme off that I think do the same thing. I think there's a certain English player who did it for six months last year in the Claret Blue West Ham. He wanted to get a new contract, he hasn't got it yet, and now he's panicking because he's going to have to take a pay cut. And he's going to have to get his finger out again and do it somewhere else. There's too many of them out there at the moment, lads. And unfortunately, I think Aubameyang is the king of them at the minute. Yeah, well, when he got his payoff, he had scored his 28th and 29th of the season. Last year, he only scored 15 goals, which was his lowest since the 2010-11 campaign. So, Dave... Do Arsenal and Arteta show their strength here and decide to get rid of him? First of all, because getting rid of them wages would be amazing. But second of all, yeah. if you're going to have someone who's supposed to be captain and he's not doing captain-like things, then and there's so many youngsters there as well, that that player needs to go. And in all fairness, Martinelli, when he's on that pitch, looks sharp. Yeah, yeah, he's a good up, a, 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 a very much a promising prospect. Um, it, it's going to be tough. That contract is the, is the big noose around Arsenal's neck at the moment. That's going to be very hard to shift. Um, and obviously, he's not going to go for free. He's not going to go without getting the bulk of that, if not all of it. So, it's not going to be that easy. That's why you have some of these players that are with clubs for six years and you scratch your head going, how the hell is he still there? And I've said his name a million times, but Lazar Markovic, you know, six years of Liverpool, he's not leaving whatever 50, 80, 60, 70 grand he was getting like because he was never going to get that anywhere else. I think if Eddie Howe has any brains, he won't touch that. So I can't see him going to Newcastle. So I think the only way to do it is just let him rot. Because unfortunately, I think he's got his money and he's sorted. Um, but other than that, I don't know what else they can do. Um, if they can get somebody gullible enough to buy him, great. But it's not going to be that easy. And he could be just another one of them players who ends up um, potentially going out on loan. But he won't give a crap because he's still going to be getting his wage. Yeah, you're probably looking at something like China, really, if he, if they could uh, yeah, take him across anywhere, there and yeah. take it off him. Okay. New managers, Neil, you wanted to bring this up because you're saying you're, you're not impressed with Ralph Raniak or Steven Gerrard. Talk. I'm trying to be fair on both of them here. Now, look, don't get me wrong. They're only a couple of weeks in the job now. It's even a wet week in the job, you might say. But it was just their performances on the weekend. And I'll start off with Gerard because, you know, there's a big deal made about Gerard coming to Anfield. You know, had him, the cameras were all over him. Jorgen Klopp was asked about him in every interview and trying to kind of, you know, make up niceties about him. And, you know, there was this kind of, I don't know, fourth camaraderie that was going on around. And look, he was returning. He was returning as a manager. 
I was kind of thinking to myself, what's he going to do with Anfield? Is he going to use this as a moment to do something a little bit out of the ordinary? Is he going to kind of, you know, expand what Villa do? Is he going to change them? Is he going to surprise us? Or is he going to do something that, you know, you might think to yourself, well, he's after showing a lot of balls there. And I just don't think he did. I'm watching the match. I thought Liverpool pounded on the door. I think they stuck to a game plan and they were pretty ferocious in the fact that they chased that goal like the hounds of hell and they couldn't break Villa down. They were resolute. They were defensive. But I wouldn't expect them to be any different than they were under Dean Smith. I just That's Villa. I think they're a good, compact team. They can match it uh, for formation. I think they're very workmanlike in the middle, very like Liverpool. They don't have the attacking threat up front. But Villa didn't have a shot on target in 90 minutes. And I think it was the first time they've had a game like that in something like 12 years, I think they said. So that disappointed me. Not disappointed me, obviously, as a Liverpool fan. But I thought it was a bit disappointing that it was only literally when they lost the goal and they could throw caution to the wind in the last maybe 8 to 10 minutes that they even remotely showed ambition. And I think from minute one, there's been a lot of teams that have gone to Anfield and given them a real go and, and got in behind Liverpool and, and given them... You know, what for? Even if you look at the way Brentford played against them, Brentford didn't, uh, you know, didn't give them any respect. So I thought Gerard went there. I think he was negative, And I think he set up not to lose rather than to win. And his lack of ambition, I thought, was disappointing. And then Raniak again, I, I, I don't know. I watched the Norwich game. Jesus, I thought they gave up like 47% possession to Norwich. Same amount of passes. They gave up a rake of shots. I know he's gone to this kind of two-two-two formation, but I don't know if that makes it does a change. Man United as a change. It all it, it does. Fernandez and um, Sancho were were narrower rather than being wide. But other than that, I didn't see any more effort out of Marcus Rashford. Didn't see any more effort out of Fernandez or Sancho for that matter. So I don't know if a change of formation has changed them. As in, has it made them harder to be? Are they doing more press and runs? Maybe it will take them a couple more weeks to get that going, that kind of press game. Um, but I was I was kind of disappointed with both of them that if you compared them to a guy like Dean Smith at Norwich, who look at the performance Norwich put in, that was actually exceptional compared to where they've been the last few weeks. Where let's be honest, we've been laughing at them. Yeah. Um, would Neil would he have been seen as a bit naive if he had tried to go head to head against Liverpool? Yes. And I mean, don't get me wrong, if Liverpool had to thump them 4 1, they'd have thumped them 4 1. But managers have gone to Anfield recently. Uh, what's his name? Southampton. You know, Ralph brought bloody Southampton to Anfield. And a couple of teams have gotten joy out of Liverpool by having a crack at them. Now, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind, because when a team steps forward onto Liverpool, they kind of like what happened with Everton a couple of weeks ago. Liverpool just pulled them apart. So you have to be very choosy in the moment you get out. But I mean, you know, Watkins didn't get a kick the whole bloody game. I think he picked up two balls in the last 20 minutes on Alexander-Arnold's side, but that was it. But Liverpool backed off Watkins. There was, a, there was a little bit of respect there and maybe a little bit of fear, but they never tried enough of it. I don't think they knocked enough. And for Gerrard, I think he could have made a point that, yeah, I'm not going to throw caution to the win, but you know what? We're really going to have a pop when we turn possession over. We're going to put the, put the ball in behind us and we're going to get up that field and we're going to give you something. Instead, it was just too safe for my liking. Okay, Dave, when you look at the both managers and you look at the teams they have, I suppose you could look at Manchester United more than Aston Villa because Manchester United should have a better squad, should be more dominant over Norwich City who, who don't spend half as much as what Manchester United spend but these managers have only come in the door there's fixtures a fixture congestion I suppose starting to build up now they wouldn't have had much time to I suppose get their points across in the training ground so there does need to be time given 100% for me in relation to United because I think it's a mixture of what he wants to do and then a mixture of him getting the right team because there's changes to be made there whether United fans like it or not, there's players who are not going to cut the mustard if he is going to play the way he's going to play. It's as simple as that because Fred and McTominay get all the the bashing 
even though they're the only two who protect the front for, uh, the back four because no one else in front of them does and hasn't up until uh, Frenwick has come. So it's going to take a while to get the likes of Rashford, who has never really done a hell of a lot of work in the defensive side of things. Sancho, I can't tell because he's been all over the place when it comes to United, so it's hard to tell what because um, um, how much he did with, with Dortmund. Dortmund would have been a dominant side over there. And Bruno Fernandes kind of did it on his own or went down a few blind alleys that maybe he shouldn't have, so maybe they just need to contain him. And Ronaldo, I'm going to give him a, a free run because maybe give him a smaller area to, to press, but I still think he will do his job. He'll do his bit. He's, you'd swear the, the guy can't move the way they go on um, about him not being able to press, which I think is a bit silly. It's just maybe give him a smaller area instead of trying to get him to run across the front the front line. But there's definitely going to be some casualties there in that United team if he is going to force what he wants to do. Um, and that's going to take time because one thing for sure, if, if you watch the, the Premier League, consistency is so bloody hard for managers to get out of uh, out of so many players you look at like I mentioned Lingard already like he played six, great for six months for the last three or four years and that's it and that was because it was in my opinion selfish reasons you look at Madison he's very up and down when it comes to getting consistency Deli Ali now all of a sudden wants to go out and boy because you're being a forgotten man because you won't you won't put in a shift under Mourinho and you weren't putting a shift in uh, now under Conte like it's so difficult to get them to work hard nowadays, which is beggar's belief considering what we've been used to when we were young growing up watching teams. Like, trying to get teams to work hard, is that shouldn't be that difficult. Um, so that's where some of these players, as nice as they might be, you know, it has to go if they're not going to do it. So that's where I wouldn't be too critical of the manager just yet. I think he just has to weed out who's not going to cut the mustard and do what he wants um, and then find a way. Um, it, sorry, then, Dave, is it hard to make players work or is it that the managers aren't at the level needed at, at a club to make them work? Um, yeah, it's a fair argument. Are they strong enough? Um, we, we said this before and we mentioned it about the previous manager. I don't want to go on about too much, but like, you know, did you ever see him roaring and shouting? And I, I mentioned it the very last game he played. On the same day, Arteta and Klopp were nearly killing each other. You know, you don't see that fire. Like, it, I think it's fairly obvious. Guardiola runs a tight ship. Now, I don't know if he's a rant or a raver, but I think just the just stature alone gets the respect. I think Tuchel's a bit similar. And then, obviously, Klopp, they're probably the three biggest ones. But who else gets gets a good shift out of Bielsa? I think it's his lack of quality in the squad now that's starting to show up, not necessarily because they're bored of him. Um, so, it can be done. So, yeah, maybe you do have to question management as well because, you know, <laughs> these players are I'm sick of hearing players who are good players but they don't do it consistently on a, a, a week in week out uh, over a period of a few years it's like that the famous rant there a week or two ago one of the United fans and and he was right to it to a point he was going on about he was going through the team and he was going on about Shaw he goes I'm sick of everyone going on about Shaw he's had one good year in eight seasons at United but why all of a sudden is he a top player and that's true because it's, it's a level of consistency out of him and is that down to the player is, is a mixture of the player and the manager probably but at the same time you know, it, the game is constantly evolving to a different animal than what we used to, but do managers need to grow a bit more now and be a bit more um, stronger and really put it up to some of these players? Or are they just on a different planet, even when it comes to their own managers, where they don't give a crap what they have to say anymore? Because it's very strange dynamic when you see the majority of the league has good players, but they don't put in the shift. Yeah, Neil, when you look at the Manchester United team, the minute Solskjaer left, the fullbacks were changed instantly and haven't moved out of that position. And now Dallo and Tellez are the, the, the number one spots in both right full or, and left full. Yeah, and, and just, I have to say, Roy, I'll, I'll give Ralph one thing. That, that, uh, he's trying to kind of upset the apple cart a little and maybe this is the only way he felt he could do it. So if you liken him to when Tuchel went into Chelsea, he was blessed because his bench were a serious bench like big name players big money established internationals whereas I don't think Raniak has the same kind of quality on the bench and I'm just looking at the team here he brought in Tellis and Dallow which I think again he's given these guys a chance he wants to bring a different dynamic and maybe more so going forward than anything else because 
I don't think uh, Wan-Bissaka was as good going forward. But Luke Shaw was still on the bench. I know Wan-Bissaka was either injured or suspended. But if you look at who else they have on the bench, Roy, like Van de Beek is beginning to get a chance. Greenwood got a chance and Boye got a chance. So they're the guys that you would have heard of before or the kind of fringe players. But then you're down to Lingard. Jones was on the bench. Uh, and then Henderson Alanga. So, you know, when you look at the quality of the squad, and I mean the 20-man squad, not the 11-man squad that went on the pitch, it's chalk and cheese when you compare it to Chelsea. So whereas Tuchel had the embarrassment to riches to throw all these fellas in and swap out, you know, Ben Chilwell for Alonso and swap out Kante for, you know, whoever he wants in the midfield, you know, Kovacic or someone, United don't have that luxury at the moment. So, look, he had to do something, I think, to make a change and to make his imprint. And um, Maybe he doesn't have that quality in the middle, which is why he's still sticking with Fred and McTominay. Um, but the fullbacks could be something that might click for him, that might get him something going forward a little more. Um, I, I, Tellez looks a decent player. His delivery and set-piece looks excellent. So, you know, maybe that's the answer, that he needs to bring in one or two lads to say, this is my team and it's going to be a little bit different. But I still think, as Dave said there, it's not really the defensive issues that would worry me for United. It's that front three or front four getting the right balance in the press and the amount of work that they get out of a Rashford and a Fernandez for me. That's their biggest issue. Okay. Dave, you wanted to bring up that all the big teams got favourable penos at the weekend, <laughs> and do they get a better treatment than the rest of the teams? I suppose we'll discuss this because uh, I went through again the, the penalties just before we came on just to have a good look at them yep. again. What did you make of them? Um, they're 50-50 on a few of them. Um, I suppose the City one probably for me maybe might be the harshest one because um, I know it's very hard to, 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 to say it was definitive off the kind of rib slash armpit before maybe you hit the arm. That's a bit of a hard one, but I I still thought it was a bit on the harsh side. I don't think it, it, it looked like it didn't appear like it hit the arm. No, yeah, and Ronaldo's just a, before you go on off that one, because when you look at that one, Dave, if he hadn't mm-hmm. got an arm, it still would have hit his body, wouldn't it? Yeah, so... So how do you work that? You can't move her. I know what they'll say is yeah. is that the arm was up in the air. But even if his arm was down, it was still going to hit him there. So that's why I yeah, wouldn't like have they, given it. Now. Yeah, because I think that's the problem. They have the letter of law in their favour in this one, you see. Mm. Um, so it's it's hard to to kind of truly say. And I'm not saying it goes down the other end, would it have been given or not. That's that's a different story. But it was just considering another hard luck story for Wolves trying to do the same again as what they did the week before. And once again, they, they kind of got caught short again. But... It just, but even just with to the eye on bar, I just it looked like it didn't quite hit the, the arm first, and I just think it's a bit on the harsh side. Uh, Ronaldo's and Salas, I put kind of together because you know Ronaldo's, I don't think gets given a lot to be honest, personally, because when you, because you, you know, in fairness, he was near the mic, so you could hear the big roar, and usually when you hear them kind of stuff, <laughs> does it happen? Does it really happen yeah. like that? And really pull him with that vigour I don't know and then Salah was just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and of course he, he and the, the dreaded contact word that I hate once they get it it's straight away a, a penalty he knew what he was doing there's no denying it the, the, even the refs in the bar once there's contact doesn't matter it's a penalty and just to show you away from it lad, so I'm kind of going against me point for a minute even the Brentford one that was never a penalty in a month of Sundays he put his foot on his leg and then went down do you know what I mean and that I don't think there was any debate about that. It was blatantly obvious. Um, he was going in for a tackle and the guy could have avoided it, but he made sure he put his foot on his leg and went down and got the penalty and Brentford win the game. So that's, that's to go away for a minute. But is it because of potentially who the player was with United? Who's to say that that's, that's the interesting debate? I don't think that penalty gets given a lot, to be honest. So maybe it's more the player, more so than the team. I think same with Salah, maybe potentially as well. And then Chelsea... You know, tight game. I thought the second one was a bit... And I thought they were both soft, but I definitely thought the second one was as well. But they got the dreaded contact. And and, and, and that's that's all it takes nowadays to, for the for them to be given. But I tried to have a look at it a little bit. We can go back to the penalties in a sec. But I tried to look at it, and there's not too much up-to-date data. But it very much looks like they get more in, in relation to extra time. If they're losing, they get a, a minute, a minute and a half longer. 
uh, if they're losing compared to other teams, if you know what I mean. And they seem to get one or two of the kind of not that important, to, like um, certain things go in their favour, but not quite in in, rela- in relation to match winning uh, decisions. So I think it's more they get more favourable frees around the around the pitch. Is that not just like because they're putting the pressure on Dave that they've got you know so, so much territory and that they're in that area and it, it's it, it's intense. Yeah, and it's interesting because Philip Walton had a piece today and he said Liverpool, he thinks, got lucky with their penalty, but he doesn't believe there's a big team bias. Graham Pohl, a few years ago, says he thinks there is a bias, but referees don't realise they're doing it, you know, which was interesting as well. So it, I don't think there's a... It, I look at what I looked at today, I don't think there's definitive facts per se, apart from maybe they get more, a little bit more extra time. But I just think it was just ironic that they all kind of got a few penalties that weren't necessarily, in my opinion, stonewalled. So it was just a point to put it out there to see does other people seem to think it's that case as well. Um, but that's why I wanted to bring it up today more so to see what others thought as well because I just thought they were just a, some of them were a bit on the soft side. Yeah, Neil, I looked at the the, the games. I looked at the penalties. Uh, I don't agree with Dave's on the on the Brentford one. I thought that was a stupid rash tackle that uh, was out out of control, out, out of control, which is also uh, the rule book now, Dave. So if you're out of control, it would be a free kick. Uh, so if it's in the yeah. box, it's a penalty. Uh, when I looked at Leicester City's uh, Madison, I thought that was uh, absolutely not a penalty. I thought he dived. He looked for the the penalty. I actually thought Liverpool's and Manchester United's were were certain penalties because you can't put your hands on players, you know. And yes, they're probably not given as much as they di- as they should be, but you can't have a defender dragging back a centre forward. They should be given. If it was outside the box, it'd be given. I thought I looked at Liverpool's on a couple of occasions. Clumsy, stupid challenge. For me to think that referees are is it biased or uh, unconsciously biased or whatever I couldn't under, I can't understand why that would be why they would have that is it you know to make buddies what? I, I don't I, it, it doesn't there's no rationale for that for me so Neil what do you think it, on your thoughts and on, on maybe even the penalties but just on on that sort of topic of conversation uh, yeah so just kind of listen to you guys about it I, did, I do think there's you can call it an unconscious bias but I feel sometimes there's an expectation when you're a Pep Guardiola side or Jurgen Klopp side and you're chasing the, the the title down and a big moment happens in a game it reminds me and I dare I say the Man United years ago when Ferguson was there it was almost like it was an, an expectation that that big decision whether it was 49, 50 you know it was 1% of a doubt it would go in the favour of Ferguson or go in the favour of Klopp or go in the favour of Pep. And I definitely think a lot of the managers in the Premier League do think that. Um, Sam Allardyce, I think, came out during the week and said he always felt that standing on the sideline, that as soon as one of the big-name managers stood up off the dugout, that the game changed, as in the officials, was almost like they were running scared. And I find that interesting to hear from a, a seasoned manager like Allardyce. But Dean Smith came out after the game, uh, the Man United game, and said... He was disgusted how it was officiated that he felt Marcus Rashford gave himself a free kick in the first half because he fell over, the game went on, and then he called the ref back. And he reckoned that they influenced him. Now, we've seen this with Ireland with Ronaldo. Remember the referee gave him a bloody uh, card for booking him mm-hmm. after he scored the goal and apologised. I think there's a level of respect and maybe a level of allowance that when it's a Salah or when it's a, um, a Ronaldo in particular them two high profile players I think they'll get more of the kind of 60-40 decisions than you know Mbomo off you know Brentford or you know someone off Newcastle I think that feels almost a natural reaction for a referee to feel like they have to do it Is it intimidation it that it happens. I think it's a, co- a combination of all them things Roy of getting in the ref's face early. Chelsea are brilliant, by the way. They are in their faces. Before the whistle is even blown, they're in their faces. They're like the old season pro. Remember McAuley used to be brilliant at the them for it. But it's that role where there's no way you're influencing the referee. 
Yeah, Ramos, they look, they're all the best players do it. I, I tell you to everyone about it. Remember, Hristor Stoichkov played for Barcelona and he wrote in his biography, I roared at the linesman every single time he gave it offside against me because I knew eventually he'd give me a 50-50. And that tells you all you need to know. They're looking for any advantage. So I definitely did, uh, do think um, it, it does exist in the game. And it's gas because we're, all three of us have a slightly different opinion on, the, on all the penalties. So I have two no one maybe and five definites there where I'm probably going completely against Dave on that one but uh, yeah look at the end of the day it's open to interpretation and bar it should be cut and dry but as Dave said uh, sometimes depending on how good they dive I thought Madison's dive against Newcastle was 10 out of 10 whereas I remember if you remember Dave in the Liverpool game Robbo got clicked in the same way and his dive was awful it was a 1 out of 10 and that's why he didn't get his penalty so but they, some, and again that's what's yes, wrong with the not, we're giving, like I know you don't really mean it, Nate, but we're giving out about guys not being good enough. And I don't yes. just look at the tackler, I look at the player. And that's why I brought up Brentford, is because if you watch just the player, watch the Brentford player, he knows what he's doing. Every, like He could have avoided that tackle. He knew what he was doing, even though we can blame the centre-half, and I completely get Roy's point. But I looked at both, and it's like, well, could VAR grow a pair and go, I know what you're doing anyway, and therefore... You know, it shouldn't be given a bit like uh, Mo Salah. Like, it's, it's a penal, but he did everything possible to make it a penal. You know, and it's kind of like, does, does VAR, is it too much for VAR to get involved in? That's what's the interesting thing about it. Are they just there to make sure the blatant ones, like what you think Madison's or, or Robertson's are, 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 are taking out? But it's just one or two of the others that we all kind of know what they are, but there's enough contact, as I said, that dreaded word and everything else that well played you did well getting it this time you know would it be fair to say like it's chalk and cheese to last season remember when every ounce of contact was an automatic penal last year they fixed that but they still haven't fixed maybe over simulation you know, or or as David saying there, the Ronaldo thing. Like, let's be honest, if they wanted to go futuristic, you could draw a line of where the ball was going to go across the box and see would Ronaldo have jumped and headed the bloody thing and give him, don't give him a penalty based on that. But I, it, it should be black and white. It's a penalty. It's not. I still think we're using a little bit of human emotion to say, yeah, he was clipped even though you knew he wasn't going to get on the end of it or he simulated it. But that's very difficult uh, to agree on in a short period of time. Okay, right. We'll leave that one there. We could talk about that one all evening, but uh, we don't have all evening, so we're we're going to move on. Dave Sergio Aguero looks like he's going to retire. An announcement yeah. is imminent. Where do we write, rate him up there in Premier League uh, history? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Obviously, he's number four in the goal scoring charts with 184 with Andy Cole, Wayne Rooney, and obviously, I'm not going to put him in the Alan Shearer bracket. Uh, at number one, would I put him above Andy Cole and Wayne Rooney potentially for the for the one goal he got alone, the famous Aguero goal as we all know, um, and and the significance of it, and the, the significance of the fact that he was their sole go-to guy for many a season. If his goals weren't there, City probably didn't win the league. But it's it's just he was a sniper of a like when he first came, he was a bit of a big name, he was an up and coming player. But South Americans can be very contrary when it comes to the Premier League. And uh, right from the get-go, he showed his class and was is certainly arguably the best South American footballer that's, that's graced the Premier League, regardless of where we put him in the, in the all-time great. But I would almost put him above the, the Andy Coles and Wayne Rooney's, I think, with the impact that he had at Man City and the success that he brought. Not necessarily on his own, but like Wayne Rooney and Andy Cole had the best supporting cast possible. I know you can say the same, I suppose, for City, but I think Aguero being one of the technically the originals he kind of dragged one or two of them on himself a little bit with some of the other guys. And then eventually Man City became the, the superpower that they are. So I'd be a bit cheeky to put him, not necessarily up number two, because I think I think you put him in a bracket with the likes of your Thierry Henry's and I suppose Harry Kane eventually. Um, but I, I definitely, like obviously he's number four in the scoring charts, but I would put him above Andy Callaway and really, but maybe along the maybe along the Thierry Henry bracket just underneath here I think I would because as I said the Guerrero goal alone but not not just that he he he, he had a bit of everything like outside the box inside the box and as I said South Americans can be very contrary and he adapted I, I think with relative ease and uh, regardless uh, um, when he finishes he'll be sorely missed and it's a, it's a shame the way he's, he, fortunately he looks like he's bowing out Neil where do you 
stand with Sergio Aguero. That's I, I like how Dave's put that there. I mean, he has been a huge impact for Manchester City. Really drove them on over the years. And if you were to look at a, a, a game each week and City scored a goal, you'd nearly guess it was Aguero. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with Dave there. I, I don't think, now I'd put Thierry Henry ahead of him, Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer, but he's in that next bracket of Luis Suarez, Wayne Rooney, you know, just incredible goal scorers. And as he said, maybe the likes of Harry Kane could be one where you might put in the same conversation if he keeps going with uh, doing what he's doing. But um, yeah, fantastic player, scored all variety of goals, real hunger, real cold-blooded in front of goal. Um, the only thing I'd say is a bit of a pity that it ended the way it did with him and Guardiola that he kind of lost that talisman you know, position that he was always starting and he ended up kind of being subbed out for a year or two um, and obviously very disappointing not to see him do anything for Barcelona having gone there so um, sorry missed and let's be honest he gave us probably one of the greatest if not the greatest moments the Premier League has ever seen <laughs> so says you um, when you look at the <laughs> When you look at Sergio Aguero, he's... Sorry, to see Phil Jones' face is alone with gold. When you look at Sergio Aguero, he's on 184 goals. Um, and you, you've mentioned Thierry Henry. I mean, he he's nine goals ahead of Thierry Henry. The likes of Robbie Fowler seen as a great 163. You, you even mentioned Suarez. He's not even near, anywhere near them. So... Do we still under do we still underrate him as how good he was? I mean, his his ratio is actually better. He scored uh, uh, every game. It's point six eight uh, of of a, of a goal for Thierry Henry. Point six seven for Sergio Aguero. Sure, it was only point five nine. So, you know, Sure had more games, but you know, pushing Shearer, you know, on a goal for or for game for game ratio, he he, he hammers him. I see what you're saying, right? But the, 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 the reason why I just have Shearer out, it's not just because it's 260 goals. I think it's the fact that 260 goals and the teams he scored them with, like uh, more so, um, would Shearer have got even more goals if he was uh, somebody of the calibre of Man City or Man United? Maybe. But that's why I would technically, and it's a massive number, 260. I know he, I, that's why I, I would potentially have him the second best for me purely just on the numbers. And I think Shearer could potentially have it even better record if he had it gone to the likes of United back in the day um, and that's the only reason but as I said I wouldn't be I wouldn't be trying to put holes in that argument in, in what you're putting across there either but that's just why I would still stick to Shearer and then maybe put it where maybe top of the next group but my group would be a little bit smaller potentially with just the likes of Henry and then if obviously Kane comes up to the fore I think one or two of the others that Suarez and all they were great players but they were flashes in and out for three or four seasons but um, just for pure longevity alone that, that's why they wouldn't be kind of in that bracket they'd be just in a, an honorary mention 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 for me but uh, no I 100% agree with you but I'd still just put Shearer ahead regardless of the, the goal for games ratio yeah, and of course Frank Lampard is in fifth place there, which is unbelievable. For it. Yeah, when you look at that, it's unbelievable. Okay, listen, I'm going to finish off something because I I just seen a poll here on a website that I was looking at while I was talking to. It's just to finish it off here. And uh, who was the best goalkeeper in the Premier League uh, between Alison Mendy and uh, Ederson? I'll tell you the result, Neil. After you. Uh, Discuss why you met. You wrote a good, very good article on goalkeepers uh, about a year ago. Uh, so I'd be interested to hear what you say. It depends a little bit on the team that you're playing for. As in, when you're in a Pep team, you have to be brilliant with the ball at your feet. You have to be as good as basically a centre half or centre mid with the ball at your feet. You have to be cool as ice under pressure for the big moments to play from the back in the way he does. So Allison, I think, perfectly fits the Liverpool mould. And Ederson perfectly fits the City mode. And I actually don't think there's any other two goalkeepers in the world probably at the moment that could fill their boots in the way the manager wants them to play and demands them to play. Um, Mendy, for me, we have to see him for another season or two because I don't know what his stats are. I know they're pretty good and they were all touting him for the kind of Ballon d'Or and all that lark, but that's a bit premature in my eyes. I think Mendy in the last week or two creaked a little when the ball was played back to him. as almost like... He never played any five aside, or you know, he just wasn't comfortable enough in possession. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Allison, Allison had a few shaky moments himself at the weekend. Yeah, 
He did, yeah, and he showed, and you know what it is, Roy? He has that in his locker every now and then. If you look at the City game last year when he had a meltdown, he does have that in him as well. But I think with a keeper like Alisson and Ederson, you're going to get these moments where, yeah, it's going to blow up in your face, but they're few and far between. Mm. And in the big games, when it really matters, they come up with just humongous saves and it just separates them from everybody else. And I think them two on their own are out ahead of everybody. And there's not a lot of goalkeepers like Neuer when he was in his kind of heyday. You know, the, the attention around him has gone very quiet these days, but still an excellent goalkeeper. But again, in the manner that with not which Neuer plays for Bayern as a sweeper-keeper, probably the other two couldn't do his job. He's more agile coming out and reading the game. So sometimes it's, you know, horses for courses of what you want your keeper to do. Um, maybe when it comes down to raw shot stopping, catching the ball, dominating your box, kicking off big saves, you can put Mendy in that conversation with them. But for me, the two Brazilians are just head and shoulders above most in the world at the moment. Okay, well, I haven't seen Mendy or, or Ederson score from with their heads, so uh, that might be a, a factor <laughs> there that might help out. Dave, what do you reckon? Is it a bit snobby that there was only three player, three goalkeepers in the in the poll? I probably could only fit three. Yeah. All right, because and it's probably the talk around the town, as Neil said, with the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, yeah. Like I suppose um, I would just tip Ederson over Allison purely because I don't think he makes as many mistakes. Um, Alison has them in his locker as Neil said and I, he got away with one against Wolves as well where he should have come out and been stronger and, and won the ball but he kind of pulled out of the tackle so to speak because he, he was going to win it it was a 70-30 probably in his favour when it was played across the, the, uh, the, the it was played across the the, the 18 yard line and Abzama Traore was coming in and as great as he is on one-on-ones I don't think he commands his box as well as I would like a keeper to do to be honest I think his shot stopping and his one-on-ones is quite solid but as regards being really strong in the box, look at the West Ham goal. I think that could happen a lot more if people put them under pressure. Um, uh, with balls under the bar, I think that's where we could see that happening. Um, while I just don't haven't seen as much with Ederson, maybe it's because obviously Man City owned the ball, so we don't know just how commanded he can be. But just to be a little bit of a uh, bit of a spanner in the works, I really like Emmy Martinez. But the fact that maybe he's with Villa, that's why he doesn't get the mention. Like he kept him in the game the other night, the other day with some great fingertip saves. But you know, maybe the fact that he's at Villa and he's more busy, or maybe that's why. But I still thought he was fairly commendable at Arsenal. But it's hard to kind of really get him on top of the the tree when it comes to the debate because of probably the club he's in. So, it, but it's just I'd probably give him an honourable mention. Yeah, no, I'm totally in agreement. There, he's been fantastic the last couple of seasons. I'll give you the, the, the results. There was uh, 18,704 votes uh, in third place, Ederson, with 9.3% of the votes. Second place with 31.6% of the votes was Mendy and then Alison 59.1%. Uh, He's a good looking fella. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. But listen, <laughs> there's there's no doubt, as Neil said, that th- those three goalkeepers suit the, the team down to a T. So it's uh, yeah, the, the three unbelievable goalkeepers. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Neil Dobbs and uh, David Bugle, uh, both from the Big Kickoff and the bigkickoff.com. Go to the website and have a read of some of the articles there. Thanks very much. And for you at home listening to us ramble on about football, thanks very much.